So now the other kids get to come up as we talk about the lesson that God's going to bring the rest of us in the sermon. How's everybody doing? Yeah, I saw most of you guys yesterday, some of you. Yeah. It's always a pleasure to see you guys. What do you think that is? What is this? How many of you put together puzzles? Hey, buddy. Give me five. All right. Yeah. Do you like puzzles? Are they hard or easy? Hard. Some of them are hard. Yours are easy. They probably are because otherwise you wouldn't be able to do them. All right. <clears throat> puzzles are kind of like our life. There's a big picture. And we, do you see the picture of your life? Do you know all the things that are going to happen? No. I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. Very good. Only God does. So, who should be putting together the puzzle of our life? We could do it, and it would take... How about if I said, I'm going to make you do this, but I'm not going to show you the picture. There's a picture. No, you can't see it. How would it be if the person that put together the puzzle saw the picture, in fact, made the puzzle, and knows the picture perfectly, do you think that would be hard or easy for him to put together? Easy, easy, right? So that's God puts together the puzzle of our life. Now, we can try it, but it's like trying to put together a puzzle without seeing the picture and doing it upside down. That would be very hard, wouldn't it? I think you guys are smart enough that eventually you would get it, but it would be hard, right? So we can do things the hard way or the easy way. Wouldn't it be better if we let God put our puzzle together and did it his way, which was the easy way, because he sees the big picture? We don't. We don't see the big picture of our life. We, we see the picture sometimes of this life, but God sees the big picture of eternity. You know what it says? It says in Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Yeah. So God has a plan for your life. In order to stay on track with God's plan, so he puts the puzzle together. What do you think would be the best ways to do that? How do we keep on track with God so we let him put our puzzle together instead of us? Where would we go for guidance? How about his word? We say, how do, I, how do you want me to live, God? How do you want my life to work out? And God says, hmm, funny you should ask. Because I put a bunch of it down in a book that I'm giving you. And it's going to help you stay on the, the right path, the straight road, so that I can put your life together. And it's going to be piece by piece by piece, but I will do it. How about praying? You think? Will praying help us stay on track with God? Yeah, you guys know that. How about God promised to give us something he called the counselor and the guide? What would that be? His Holy Spirit. Right? We, we learn that in Kids Jam. God puts his Holy Spirit inside of us to guide us and keep, keep us on his path so that when the puzzle is all together, it was easy, not hard. Okay, so we're going to do what? Read our Bibles, pray, and always listen to the Holy Spirit that God puts inside of us so we stay on track. All right? Thank you for coming up. We'll see you at the potluck. Oh, boy, that's always so fun. You guys don't have any. If you were, I mean, if, 
If you could just be at Kids Jam one time, you would see these guys in, well, you saw them kind of last week, right? A little bit up here in action and the love and the excitement that they have coming to be together to do this Kids Jam thing. I'm going to need some glasses. So one thing I, I have to share with you, I missed you guys. Last week I was at conference. Well, not this, not this last week, but the week before, and I was, so I was gone for that Sunday. Um, thank you for making it possible for Carol and I to go. It was a wonderful time. And we got together, it was uh, about five days, um, four and a half days actually, and there were lots of opportunities for people to talk to us, and there were a number of really impactful messages that we heard. But, and I know some people probably say, yeah, we already knew this about you, Tim. The absolute greatest thing was to spend time with other village missionaries. Now, we did that. Carol and I were very intentional about every, there were two meals a day, and then there were two sessions a day, and, I, and we made it very intentional that we would sit next to somebody new every single time, which we did. And so we got to know a bunch of people. And I shared this a little bit yesterday at uh, Men's Breakfast. Um, that was kind of a two-edged sword for me because I felt, one, really guilty, and two, really blessed. I felt really guilty because, um, as Jeff shared a little bit this morning, um, an overwhelming theme that I heard as we each went through our stories was how difficult it is out there in urban or rural ministry in the United States. In our particular region, we, I think, had two or three different sections uh, um, of the country that, or, or, uh, on the West Coast here that come to this conference but, man, there's a lot of really, really hurting village missionaries out there in fields that are very difficult. Um, so one of, the, one of the things that you do is, you know, when you sit down with somebody new in the new village missionaries, and they always have the same kind of set of questions. How long have you been there? How long have you been with village missions? And tell us about your field. Um, and so as we go through that, then I'm hearing all of these hard stories about these guys. So, number one, so two things. Pray for your village missionaries. These ones, like Jeff does, and there's a whole bunch of them, they need your prayers. And understand how vital the mission of village missions is in some of these communities, like Jeff described this morning, that don't have someone preaching the word of God in their church. Okay, so village missions, that's their mission. That's their, that is their passion is to put pastors out in these areas that, that don't have other options, most of them. But it's not an easy thing to do. Ministry itself can be hard for anyone, but picture this going out into a community that you're new to and there's no one there and and probably it's kind of closed and if you haven't been born there or your grandparents or your great-grandparents weren't born there you're kind of an outsider and you go there and the church is small and, and they're discouraged probably because their community's gotten smaller and their young people have moved away and that's where you start your ministry in a, in a vocation that's already difficult and these people are, they're rock stars in my world. And some of them are really out there on their own and struggling. So pray for your village missionaries. Okay, so again, I felt, oh man, I told my story. And it's like, gee, Tim, how lucky are you? How blessed are you to have Machias and people that are loving one another and serving one another. And it was just, I felt, I, I, I pretty much just had to shut my mouth because I felt so guilty about it. Um, you know, after I hear all these other stories, I'd say, hey, yeah, I'm at Machias, it's great. That's, yeah. um, but I am so blessed to have you. Um, but one of the things about this is you're telling your story. And so the questions come up, Tim, um, how long have you been at Machias? 33 years. Whoa. Oh. How long have you been in, in, in the pastor? Two months. Uh, 
hold it. That doesn't, that, that doesn't add up in the church model for village missions. This doesn't happen. And so I, I had to go through, and, and I'm, I'm telling my story. And, and I, I don't have time to tell you my story. Maybe someday I will. And some of you have kind of heard a lot of it about it anyway. But um, almost everybody commented the same way because, you know, Hmm. You're starting your first full-time ministry effort in your mid-60s. Hmm. And so I told my story about how I got there, and, and pretty much everybody says the same thing. It was a very circuitous route. Okay, so you tell your story over and over. You know, in fact, one of the, about the second day, somebody says, you've told this about 20 times already, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, because every time you sit down to somebody new, you hear their story, they hear yours. And sometimes after telling it so many times, and, and not that I haven't thought this in the past, but it's like, man, God, what was the deal here? <laughs> what, what took so long? I, I, I'm 60, almost 65, and in about another week and a half, I'm going to be 65. And, and, and now, now you're putting me in this place where I finally feel satisfied and, and all this joy from being able to serve these people that you've given me. And what happened? What took so long? And then the answer comes, well, Tim... If you'd been doing my will instead of yours, this could have been a lot easier. <laughs> Ron told us yesterday, and I agree, and this is kind of the theme of this message. There's the easy way, and there's the hard way. God's way is the easy way. Now, God saw my life before I was born, and he knew it was going to take me to age 63 to be in full-time ministry and serve him with the gifts that he gave me in the way that he wanted me to do. Not that I wasn't serving before, not that I didn't love God, but, but he, he had a plan for my life just like he does for you. Okay, And so there was some circuitous roots because as Tim wandered off God's plan for his life, God says, I can fix that. And, and I have these unbelievably hard trials for you, Tim, that are going to steer you back in to the pathway that I want you to be in. And so Tim hmm, loves God. Tim is saved. Tim needed to learn things a lot the hard way. Okay, so I started to recognize that. that yeah, it, my, my life has taken a lot of twists and turns to get me to the place where I am today. And, and indeed... Uh, I took the hard road on a lot of occasions as I was still saved and loving God, but somewhat in rebellion because I didn't want his plan for my life as much as I wanted my plan for my life. And I didn't, at the time, most of the time, I didn't think it was sinful. God, I just, I want to be in business for myself, and, and, and I want to start this, and I, and I have these hobbies, and I want to go. And they weren't necessarily sinful, but they took me off in, in a way that God says, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct that. And so, Tim, when you have for the last, I'll say, 15 years, devoted your life mostly to your business and running two businesses, both of which were 50, 60-hour-a-week businesses, and you're gone from home and your wife is raising your children by herself, uh, I, I'm going to take that away. And so, without going into the details... On a, and very abruptly, it was gone, all of it. Everything that I had tried to accumulate, everything that I had built up, everything that I had planned to do was taken by God. And, and literally, we had nothing left. And that was a humbling that I have told many of you, besides my salvation and my wife and my family, that was the greatest gift that God ever gave me, was to humble me so that I could return back to the pathway of God. And it still took me another 10 years. Okay, so that brings us to Tim trying to prepare a sermon. And Tim, once again, had his own plans for that. 
And we're working our way through 1 Thessalonians, and I get to chapter 3, and I started out the, the, the week saying, okay, I'm going to prepare a sermon. I'm going to do verses 11, 12, and 13, and there's a lot of meat in there. No problem having a sermon that, that lasts two and a half hours. So um, anyway, I start preparing the sermon, and I did, I, I, I did my process of going through and reading it every day and then going through and, and taking all the key words and looking them up in Greek and, and, and writing some notes down about it and paraphrasing it after I got done in my own words and, and then start looking at, you know, what does it say, what does it mean, how does it apply to my life today, and all the things that, that I do when I'm preparing a sermon. And so I worked on it on Monday, some, and I worked on it again on Tuesday, and I came home and, and I told Carrie, yeah, I've been working on my and she says, how's it going? I said, well, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. I can't get off verse 11. What? <clears throat> now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. So this is Paul, and he is, this is a prayer. Okay. He has come through the first part of Thessalonians. I should stick to my notes. So I'm going to get in trouble. So he's commended them so far. He's defended his own ministry. He's worried about them. He's, he's defended his motives and methods earlier in the, in the chapters. He's expressed this great desire to come see them again. He, he's expressed his love for them. He's been really encouraged by Timothy's positive report. And now he's going to do a prayer. The, these last three verses of chapter 3 are a prayer that Paul is praying to God. And he's saying, God... Because he started this church, and he spent about three to six months there, and then he was chased out of town, and he comes back around from, from Thessalonica and down to eventually Corinth, where they think he wrote this letter either in Corinth or Athens. And he wants to go back, and, and, and he's afraid because he knows there's a lot of opposition to the church and to Christianity. It's a brand new thing for them, and they were very pagan in their culture. And he starts the church, and he gives them the gospel, and the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of him and opened the hearts and minds of the people, and they've accepted Jesus, and they've started this church. And they're thriving as far as they're doing it the way God wants, and their reputation is being heard all over the world. And, but, but he's away from them, and, and like a father and a parent, it's like, ah, yeah, how are they doing? You know, you send your kid away to college, how's he doing? You know, is he getting involved in stuff he shouldn't be? And so, uh, I'm going to send your sister back to check on you. So, no, he sends Timothy back to check on him, and he, he, he's so encouraged when he gets Timothy's report, but he still wants to come to him. And so, this is what he prays. He says, now may God... God and Father himself. May God and our Lord, supreme authority, Jesus the Christ, direct our way to you. And that was in the ESV. Okay, so, so again, I'm going through my process of preparing the sermon, and I look up, and I thought, you know, I understand the first part here, but direct our way to you. What does that really mean? And so I, I looked it up. Um... And it, and it had some meanings there, and it basically, it, it, the word for direct is to fully straighten, fully straighten. And the word for way is the Greek word for road. And so he, what he's really saying is God, the supreme being who's in control of all things, would you straighten my road to get to these people that you've given me, that you love? And so when I got to that, and, and after all of this thinking about what was going on at conference and telling my story and getting mad at God because he took so long to get me here, and I think, had I had the courage to pray that 30 years ago, God, straighten the road. We're going to talk about what that means. Had I had the courage to pray that prayer 30 years ago, Maybe I'd be doing this a lot earlier. I could have kicked Ron out. <laughs> oh, no, but that was part of the plan that God had. But anyway, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to let you think about this. Because I think you can apply this to your life personally. I think you can apply it to us as a church. 
Are you willing to pray this prayer? God, straighten my road. Now, in this case, it was so I could go back and love on the people of Thessalonica. Now, you don't have to go back to the people in Thessalonica, but God has people in your life. Would you, would you have the courage to pray, God, would you straighten the road so you can take me to those people that need to hear the hope that I have, that you've given me? Not just people I know, and, 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 but people in my community, people, unsaved people. Lord, would you be willing to pray that prayer for your own life? Would you be willing to pray that prayer with me for the church here at Machias? I think before you can really answer that question, or before, before I would ask you to answer that question, um, it's like getting married. I think you, sh- you need to know what you're getting into for her first. So let me, let me share some truth with you before I ask you to answer so that you'll know what, what it is that I'm really asking. So first, first, I think it would be good to know, right, um, what exactly is he talking about? We talked a little bit about that. So he was saying, God, would you do this? Would you, would you direct my way back um, but there's something I think you should know. We might get to this later anyway, but he never does. He never makes it back. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't on God's road. In fact, he was. But it's, it's relinquishing control. So here's some things that you need to know um, that we're going to talk about. Before answering the question, will I, will I pray this prayer? First of all, you need to know that God does everything. It's all about God. He made everything. It's all about His working, His plan, His glory. And and, and everything that is, is about God. He made everything for Himself to glorify Himself. He allowed us to exist. He allowed us to, to, to have a will. He allowed us to do some things. But nonetheless, in the end, believe it or not, agree with it or not, this is all about God. You need to know that. You need to know that in your everyday life before you pray the prayer. Um, two, your, your life is not your own. Do you understand what that means? I'm going to talk about it more. Think, think before you answer that question, am I willing to get on God's path for my life? Recognize this. You don't belong to you anymore. In fact, it says, um, you've been bought with a price, so you belong to me. But it also says in Romans um, chapter 12, you belong to one another. Are you, are, you, are you willing to accept that reality before answering the question? I, I'm really just a steward now. God's giving, given me this life. He's given me opportunities. He's given me people in my life. He's given me spiritual gifts. He's given me talents. And I'm going to have some say in how those are used. But first I have to recognize they're, it's not me anymore. They don't belong to me anymore. I don't belong to me anymore. I'm just waiting for the orders to be clear so that I can serve God the way he wants me to. Are you? I hope so. God does have a plan for your life. He he does. He, he, He sees the picture of your puzzle very clearly. You can't see that very clearly. It's small. But this was you. God has a plan. He does. And, and, and it's basically in three areas of your life, which we're going to talk about. So I need to move on or we'll never get there. Um, following God's plan and his road, his straight, straight in the road, we can talk about that, requires faith and courage because it's not easy. He never promises it to be easy. If you follow the Apostle Paul, you find out what he's already gone through and what he's going to go go through. He gets martyred eventually. It has not been an easy road up to this point. He's already been stoned and left for dead. He's already been run out of town. He's already been beaten, put in jail. Following God's path does not mean it's going to be easy. Are you still willing to make the prayer? It's not going to be easy. Guarantee you right now, it's not going to be if it's getting harder maybe all the time. In this culture that is anti-God, 
It's going to take faith. It's going to take courage. And six, we are very easily redirected by our own agendas and the trials of this life. And so if I get on God's path, it's super, super easy for me to inject my own agenda in here and wander off. Very, very easy for us to do that because we don't take the other things into into consideration that, hey, it's no longer about me, it's about God. And guess what? My life is not my own. And yes, God has a plan and he's trying to reveal it to me if I'll only listen. But boy, it sure is fun when I make the decisions. And I I, I don't even mean to and it wasn't necessarily sinful, but I wandered off looking for the things that I was trying to get out of life until God, mostly with the two-by-four method, got me back in line. Maybe if I had prayed this prayer 30 years ago, I could have done it the easy way. It's going to happen anyway. God says, I'm going to have my way with you people. We can do this two ways, one of two ways. You can do it the easy way where you just seek my will and in faith step out and have some courage and have some long-suffering, and I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit that's going to help you have all those things to abundance. But if you just want to do this the hard way, I can handle that too. Poster boy for the hard way. Okay. First, it's all about God. It's all about God. To find and then stay on God's straight road for us, we must first realize that it's all about Him. Because, as I told you, God's going to have His way with you one way or another. And He has this plan for your life. But recognize that it's His plan, And it's him working in you, and it's to his glory that he does it. Paul has already given, we're going to look at it. Back in verse 2 of chapter 1, Paul credits God for the work that he's doing in these people. They were doing some great things. You know, he said, you're working in faith, you're laboring in love, and you're enduring in trial. And thank you, Thessalonians, you're so great. No. He says, thank you, God, for doing this work in your people. And then in verse 4, he thanks God for choosing them. Oh, God, thank you. Not thank you, Thessalonians, for listening to my message and accepting it and and being so nice and, and being saved. No, he thanks God. Thank you, God, for choosing them. How do I know he chose you? Because when we spoke, you responded, and the only way that happens is when God sends his Holy Spirit ahead of me to open your hearts and minds so that you can accept the message. And so he's thanking God because guess what? It's all about God. God had a plan for the Thessalonians, and one of those things was, I was I'm going to bring my servant Paul, I am going to send my Holy Spirit ahead of him, and you guys are going to get saved and do some wonderful things in God's kingdom. Because it's all about God. Because the work is done by God. You think you're doing it. You think you're making some progress. You think that you've made decisions and that, yes, God, see what a wonderful guy I am. I saw your hope and I accepted it because I'm just smarter than everybody else. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says this is God doing a work in you. We're going to look at that here in a sec. Um, in fact, right here. I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. And it does not say, hey, I'm sure of this, that you guys are going to do a good work until I come back. No. If you're going to stay on God's path, you've got to give him the credit. It's really easy to get big-headed about it, even when you're saved, and say, well, gee, I'm saved. Uh, I must be a pretty good guy. God chose me. Um, So now, God, I think I can handle this from here. I'm sure this, that he who began the good work is going to complete it. You better be thanking God every day for that one. Because on your own, you're not going to make it to the end. You're not. If you could fall away, you would. For it's God, again in Philippians 2.13, for it's God who's working in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. This is all about God, Him doing it, 
to glorify himself in your life, thank God that God working in me glorifies God because I would be lost without him. If you're trying to stay on the straight road, God's path, his plan for your life, recognize that it's God. He's doing it. And in the next one, now may the God of peace himself, this is again in 1 Thessalonians, farther up, I'm stealing from a future sermon. Now may the God of peace himself, God himself, sanctify you, make you transformed into the image of Jesus, make progress in you so that you can find peace and satisfaction and joy in this life. May God himself, the one who's doing it, sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The easiest way to fall off the pathway, the straight road of God, is to try to do it on your own strength. That... A personality, Tim Henley, that wanders around all the time, God needs to hit with a two-by-four, that was his biggest problem. Trying to do it in my own strength. Thank you, God, for saving me. I got it from here. I'm pretty smart. I can figure out what I need to do next. No. He who calls you is faithful. He's going to do it. And he will... But I know from experience I can resist, and I did. It didn't turn out well. You have to recognize your life is not your own. Stewardship, again. I was bought with a price. I'm willing to make that trade. How about you? Okay, God, I'm good with that. In theory, I'm good with that. What am I trading? I'm trading control of my life to you. Or eternal salvation. Yeah. But then, you know, then in practice, it's like, eh, well, I said that. Didn't really mean it because I'd like to control in the meantime. But but according to scripture, or do you not now this is this is this one you hear a lot, and I hate to so I'm taking it out of context a little bit. But it's but the principle is is true. And so basically this is Paul's been talking about in this letter to the Corinthians about sexual immorality, which they were indulging in without, you know, any guilt and, and just doing it and thinking, hey, you know, we're saved, it's okay, and it's, yeah, it's kind of like what we have now, you know. I'm saved, so well, it doesn't matter how I live now. But he said no. Um, God, in this particular area of your life, sexuality, which we're going to be talking about, Uh, very soon in Thessalonians. No, I I have a plan for this. I made you. (laughs) It's my plan. I have a plan for your identity sexuality. And when you violate that plan, uh, you're, you're, you're going to suffer the consequences. It's not good. It's not good for you. I love you. And when you stick to my plan, it's always going to work out better. And so, look, here's what you have to know. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, I got this Holy Spirit, and and you are not your own anymore. You were bought with a price, so glorify God by using your body the way he tells us to in his word. I have a plan. I made sexuality. I gave it to you as a gift, but I have rules for your own good. Okay, so, but the principle here is the same. I have to recognize I'm no longer of my own. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Right? And to, to live as Christ, to die as gain. He, he had the attitude that he needed to have. Was, Look, I know I'm here. I'm a steward now. I don't even belong to myself. And so, God, you have every right to direct my life. And in fact, I want that because when I try to direct my life, it goes sideways. And so, thank you, God, for controlling, wanting to control me because when I'm in control, it doesn't work out. And so, in order to stay on the straight road of God, you have to understand, you are no longer your own. You're a steward. That's a very, very difficult thing for us to deal with in our heads. Because we are so selfish. 
That selfish part of us that endured through our salvation process that God is trying to kill every day on a daily basis, I need to kill the fleshly part of you that still remains in there. But in the meantime, it rears its ugly head on a regular basis, and it doesn't like it when you say somebody else is in control. And so there's a battle going on, right? But, but, but I have to understand, I have to buy into if I want to stay on God's straight road for my life, that I want him in control. And I have to fight that desire. And, and many times in my life, it was not successful. My desire, again, it wasn't necessarily, I, I, I want to sin. But, but when I am trying to take control of my life, I'm sorry, Tim, it is sin. Not only that, it's stupid. It's really stupid because it never worked. So, if we're going to stay on the path, we have to understand we're no longer in ownership of anything. We're simply using it on God's behalf for our good and His glory. Keep those in mind. It's always for our good. God's working all things together for the good of those who love Him, those who have been called according to His purpose. It's a good thing. Your life is not your own. God does have a plan for your life, believe it or not. He does. It revolves around, I believe, three things, three areas of your life. You can, um, you can say, well, maybe you're simplifying this too much, and, and I know I talk about these things all the time. I think there are three main areas of your life that God has a definite plan for and is outlined in his book. One, he wants you to be saved. And there's a way to do that. God had a plan. We've been going through in men's breakfast, giving our testimonies. I haven't, mine hasn't come up yet. We heard from Ken's yesterday. It was fascinating. You have to talk to him about it. Yeah. And you, then you have to look at the little flashy thing like they did on um, Men in Black. Uh, but, but we're telling our stories, and everybody's story has been different. How did they come to God? God has a plan, had a plan before you were born, before the foundation of the world. He says, I knew you as I formed you in your mother's womb. I, 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 oh, man, this was so good. I was struggling with this, and I said, God, you need to do something for me. You need to give me a... I know it's in Psalms somewhere. I know that this plan, I know you have a plan, and, and I need to be sure how this is all working. And so I opened my Bible, which I, I, I shared just yesterday. I hate to tell people this because it's like, ugh. I opened my Bible. I found Psalms. And I said, Lord, I know there's a Psalm in there that talks to me about this, that you have this plan for me, and that you're in control. And I know it's... A, I opened it up. And I open it up to Psalm 139. Oh, it was the one. I can't believe it. Verse 5, you have confined me from the front and from behind. The Greek literally is you cramped me and hemmed me in. From the day I was born, little Evelyn Joy. God's got his hands there. Literally, you have confined me. You think you are in control. You think you are running the show. You think you are making the decisions. But what you don't see is that God is working around you and through you and in the people and circumstances of your life to bring you to his plan of salvation. Verse 10 of Psalm 139, even there, he's talking about, where can I go where you're not there? And he says, even there, which is he was talking about in the depths of the sea, your hand will lead me, in the Greek, guide and direct me, and your right hand will hold me or keep me in your possession. The hold is, is not just, okay, I got your hand around your neck. No, hold means I am keeping you. You're mine. I got my hands on you. I'm never letting you go. Who can snatch me out of God's hand, right? Nobody. And so it says, and then in verse 16, and in your book were written all the days of my life. And this is an interesting one. It says that were formed for me. But you know what that meant? You know what that means in the Greek? In your book was written all the days of my life. 
that were formed, or that word in Greek means custom molded as a potter molds clay. You know, I know you've heard that illustration before, the potter and the clay, and, and there it is, and, and the clay is on the, on the wheel, and the potter's turning it, and he's forming it. And, and, and if you think God is not doing that in your life, you're wrong. If you think you're just wandering through this in some sort of chaotic way, it seems like it at times, but it's not true. See, I can go to the truth of God's Word, and, and right here it's telling me, no, no, no. I'm not out of control. God is there and he's forming me. But sometimes the, the clay talks back to the potter, right? Because when there's, the forming is happening, sometimes it's applying pressure, right? I, I'm going to form you into this beautiful vessel that I'm going to use for my glory and your good, but, but I'm going to have to apply some pressure with my fingers here. And, and I, don't, I don't think I like that, God. Uh, and I'm going to talk back to God and say, hey, get your hands off me. I don't want to be that. I want to be this other thing over here. That's not what God's... He's promising. He's always there. And the, all of your days were written down before they happened. And those of you that are children of God, He's always had His hand on you. And He's always forming the situations of your life around you. Working all things together for your good those that were called according to God's purpose. And so I look back in my own life. This is the, the good part about getting here at 65. You get some hindsight, and now I can look back and see, oh, yeah, I mean, that was a trust to me. I was not thanking God for it at the time. But I look back and I see what a marvelous gift that was. How bad did I need to be humbled when he humbled me, really bad. So hindsight gives us some perspective on that. And we can see, you know, probably most of you can see back in the past where God has, has been there and he's used his fingers to form you or, or form circumstances. And yet how hard is it to carry that forward into the present and the future? I go through another trial and I'm back to complaining again. But if I want to stay on God's path, I have to understand he does have a plan. So how am I going to find that plan? I, I shared that with the kids, right? Your life is not your own. God has a plan for your life. How are we going to find it and stay on it and pray that prayer and mean it? Um, following God's plan requires faith and courage. No. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Okay. <clears throat> How many of you have heard this one before? Did you buy into it? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. <clears throat> Without faith, it's impossible. Not hard, not unlikely, impossible. The easiest thing for us to do as selfish human beings who want control of our lives is to do stuff but only do it when we can see the end from the beginning and it makes sense to us. Is that the road God wants you on? No. Does he saying, no, get on my path and it's going to be easy? No. Is he saying, get on my path but you only have to stay on it if you agree with the direction it's going? Get on the path and stay on it until it becomes hard. No. Here's my path, my road. Stay on it, but only if you can see the end from the beginning. No. Okay. So getting on God's path and staying there requires faith. But, but you have to recognize that in order to please God, which glorifies God and in the end is good for me, that he rewards those who seek him. If I want to stay on the path, if I haven't bought into that, good luck staying there. Because it's going to be hard. It's going to be confusing at times. You're not going to see the end from the beginning, which is what faith is all about. And it's going to be countercultural. And it's going to be counterintuitive. And God says, look, I get all that. 
I know, I know you're not going to understand this. It will not make sense by worldly standards. I know it's hard. I know you're going to have pain. I know it will confuse you. Trust me. If you want to pray this prayer and mean it, you got to do it by trusting God. There will be times on God's straight road when it seems curvy, but it's not. God's got it lined in. Doesn't mean it isn't going to be painful. Doesn't mean it isn't going to be confusing to you. Doesn't mean that it isn't going to seemingly be going from one point. I started over here and, and you know, I thought I was doing your will, God, and it didn't work. No, no, that's, that's God. He's steering you along. But there will be times when you, it doesn't make sense. My dream job was the one I had before this one. Um, it was being an associate pastor. I was getting old, getting old. Um, I, I think, no, this is perfect for me. <laughs> I don't have to be in control. I don't have to be the guy at the top. I don't have to take on all the responsibility. I can be, you know, under someone. And, and I was like a pig in mud. And then this came along. You guys know some of the circumstances, and I'm not going to go through it. <clears throat> and Village Missions came to me and said, Tim, would you consider taking this job? And I said, what are you, stupid? I'm old. <clears throat> I, don't, I burned the candle so long at both ends, I don't know how much is left. I don't know if I can handle this level of responsibility. I don't know. I don't have that fire in the gut that I used to have that I had for so many years. Like, I just, I'm ready to conquer the world. I'm tired. I'm tired, God. Don't ask me to do this. I don't know how many times I said no, but it was a number. Ken says it a seven. Um, Moses said to God, God, don't send me. I am slow of speech. And God basically said, shut up and sit down. I'm going to help you out. Um, and so, now, um, he's, I'm going to send you Aaron. Um, I looked at this opportunity, and, and, and they said, would you prayerfully, this time, Tim, <laughs> no, he said that, would you prayerfully consider accepting this position? I, okay. And God said, I'm going I'm to send you some Aaron's. And their name are Bill Bronsky and John Stuckey. I made it very clear to them, this is, this is a three-way deal. Starting. At that point, we only had, there was just the three of us. And I said, God, there's no way I can do this. I'll give you these guys. Okay, God, I'm going to let them know. <laughs> this, is, this is leadership by committee here because I don't have it. I don't. And then I, God great, graciously added Jack and Ken. So here I am. I've never had this much joy. But it looked hard, and it looked confusing, and it looked like I couldn't do it, and guess what? That's probably God saying, thank you, Tim. Thank you, you finally learned you can't do this on your own. I, I need God. Obviously, I need his Holy Spirit, and I need these gentlemen that he's put in there to do this, and he gave me some errands. You can just call him Aaron if you want. If you're going to follow the road, it's going to take some faith and courage. You're going to step out of the boat. And then the last one, we are easily redirected by our own agendas and worldly trials. And, you know, that's, again, we have to just go back to the to, to promises of God when things are hard and say, there's a purpose for this, that I can count it all joy when I encounter trials of various kinds because the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance will finish its work so that you can be complete and mature, lacking in nothing. God says, look, look, that is my plan for your life. I have a plan in these three areas. I want to save you, I want to transform you, and I want to use you as a tool to build my kingdom.
It's really, really easy to be sidetracked by your own agenda and when the water starts coming over the edge of the boat. Courage. At that's the time we have to go back to the promises of God and understand the purpose of what he's putting us through is to make us complete and mature, lacking in nothing. Pray that for your village missionaries. I'm sure it's hard for them to understand. God, I gave up everything. I gave up some of them. I gave up my family. I gave up my job. I gave up uh, any hope at all of ever having any money in the rest of my life. And this is what I get. People are angry at me, trying, trying to be mean, and community hates me. And Pray for your village missionaries that they can see that, that, that this is God perfecting them, as through fire, though, and it's painful. So, knowing all those things that I just told you, are you still willing to pray this for your own life? God, I, I'm willing to try to find your path, listening for your Holy Spirit, reading your word, praying for you. Lord, just keep me on your track. See what he'll do. But also, are you willing to pray for us as a church? There is a community of Machias that is dying without Jesus. God, will you straighten the road so that we, as a church, may go to them? Be careful when you pray that, because he'll do it. He'll provide the opportunity, I'll, I'll give you that. If we pray as a church, God, will you straighten the road so that we may go to them, just like Paul? Why? Because we love them, because they're dying without you. We can't save them. We can't change them, we can't fix them, but Lord, would you straighten the road, show us the way. I don't know how to do it. I have some ideas. We're going to try some things. How are we going to get more connected to our community? But what needs to precede that is a church full of people who are praying that prayer that says, God, smooth the way. God, show us the way. God, straighten the road so that we may go to them. Let's pray. Um, dear Lord, you are in control of all things. We are down here most of the time mucking up your plan. But Lord, you gr just granted us the, the privilege of being able to be used as broken vessels in jars of clay, and yet you could perform miracles because it's all about you. So Lord, we just pray for our church, for our, us individually, that we'll seek your road, your path, You'll straighten it out, show us the way, and we'll have the courage and faith to stay on it. Build your kingdom for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.